The Tom Sumner Program. Old fashioned radio for a new generation. Oh, it's always a pleasure to be with you, John. You know that. Easy question. I'll debate Andy Dillon on your show. Well, uh, that's a very good question. Uh, Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm all right, Tom. How are you? Hey, lucky day, Mrs. Sumner. Ciao, Tom. How are you today? That's a good question. <laughs> Hi, this is actor, comedian Jonah Pody, and you're listening to the Tom Snyder, uh, Tom Smothers. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, what's his name? Uh, Sumner. The Tom Sumner Program. Good morning, Tom. How are you doing? Hey, at least I got the Tom part right. The Tom Sumner Program. Old-fashioned radio for a new generation. Our fellow Americans. Right now, the COVID-19 vaccines are available to millions of Americans. And soon, they will be available to everyone. The science is clear. These vaccines will protect you and those you love from this dangerous and deadly disease. They could save your life. So we urge you to get vaccinated when it's available to you. That's the first step to ending the pandemic and moving our country forward. It's up to you. The Tom Sumner Program plays host to the best political roundtable on radio every Wednesday from 10 a.m. to noon. Armchair Politics features great commentary and analysis about the headlines from local, state, and national politics with an alumni of world-class pundits, plus quotes, tweets, and those weird and wacky stories we call the X-Files. If it's Wednesday, catch Armchair Politics on the Tom Sumner Program. This is Mayor Sheldon Neely, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Show. Hey, welcome back, everybody, as we roll into the third half of our three-hour tour. Um, we have an uh, interesting guest, Deanne Birch, has a captivating book called Journey Through Fire and Ice. And uh, it, well, let's see, is that the whole title? No, Shattered Dreams Above the Arctic Circle. And uh, tells a story of how her and her husband uh, ended up living for a short time in an Eskimo, a remote Eskimo village. And uh, we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But whenever we have an extra few minutes, as we do at the top of this uh, third half of our three-hour tour, I like to squeeze in a little local music. And here's a chance to uh, (laughs) sort of... I don't know, recognize or acknowledge that uh, today is the next to the last day of uh, summer. So here's a little something from uh, a great local artist. Jump in 
Hey, welcome back, everybody. This is the Tom Sumner Program. My guest this hour is the author of a uh, book based really on her life experiences called Journey Through Fire and Ice, Shattered Dreams Above the Arctic Circle. And she is Deanne Birch, and she joins me by phone. Hi, Deanne. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, one of the things I read... I read about this book, a description was, uh, this is no fairy tale. Ah, <laughs> uh, my supposed I wish it was a fairy tale, but it certainly is not a fairy tale. Fairy tales end with happily ever after, and uh, certainly my story does not end with happily ever after. Now, the story basically for listeners is that um, your husband wanted to go to, he, he wanted to take you, you were 23, I think, at the time, to an Alaskan village where he was going to do some, uh, a, a study of some kind. And um, you went along with him, and and, and it turned out to be, um, really kind of tragic in in several different ways. Um, what makes you want to go back and relive it in the book now? Oh, dear. <laughs> that is a, that's a very good question. Um, I always wanted to write the MMR about the time we spent in Alaska. I felt that I had done something as a young bride that very few people had ever done, and I wanted people to read about it. In 1963, when I got married, um, women really didn't have a choice. Wherever their husband wanted to go, they went along with him. And I wanted to write my story about my experience up in Alaska. It was, it did end up, well, it didn't end up tragically because we went back to the place where we had, where we had been living. And I realized that I was a much stronger woman than I'd been before. So um, I don't know what you want me to say about the book. Or, well, no, or, no, no. I, um, I, I wanted to talk about some of the things that happened to you. How, how long were you um, in this village, which is above the uh, Arctic Circle? The village that, that we lived in is 83 miles above the Arctic Circle, and we went there mid-May of 1964, planning actually on staying in, in staying in that village until the spring of 1965. And then we were going to do another study in another village um, that was in a different part of Alaska. We were in in the village of Kivalina until the December of 1964 when my husband was badly burned in an accident, and we had to return to Harrisburg, where I live now, um, so that he could be looked after by a plastic surgeon that lived in, in Harrisburg. And, and your husband, Ernest, um, who, who went by the name Tiger, what was, what was his work? What, what, what drew him to the Arctic Circle to do this study? Was he a researcher, um, well, you're going to laugh at me. I think he was an Inuit in a previous life. No, really. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, he even when he was a little boy, he was drawing. He was drawing intricate houses of of what he thought Inuit 
Inuit houses look like, which I find very, very strange. And what, at any rate, explain what Inuit means. Inuit is is the for is called is what we as young people or as I as a young person called an Eskimo. The Inuits are, are a broad band of people that are all over Canada and the United States. They're the Indi- indigenous people of the north, and the Kivalina people refer to themselves as Inupiaqs. Okay. So, um, now, would you consider them Eskimos? This was an Eskimo village? Yes. You would consider them, we would consider them Eskimos, if, if that's what we've referred to them now. Politically, if you're being politically correct, they're referred to as Inuits or Inupiaqs. Okay, and and this this village, um, no running water. No running water, no electricity, and um, no and obviously no plumbing. And you were there for what a couple years was it? No, we were there for seven months until okay. my husband was burned, okay. and then as soon as he was able to go back. We went back up, and we lived in a tent for the next four or five months. And I just, I, I, what did you think when he said we're heading, we're heading to Alaska? I guess, uh, I guess I knew what I was in for when I married him. I didn't want to go, and I thought maybe he would change his mind. But obviously, he didn't change his mind. His research was very important to him. He became one of the foremost experts in Arctic life or in the lives of the Inupiaq people. He was one of the foremost experts um, during his lifetime, and his research was very important to him. At that point, he was only 25, and he was working on his Ph.D. in anthropology. Okay. All right. So that, that makes a little bit more sense. But what did you think when he said, we're off to Alaska. I wasn't very happy about it. <laughs> and in fact, when the earthquake hit in 1964, I woke up and I thought, oh, good, we're not going to be able to go to Alaska for a little while. Well, unfortunately, I shouldn't say unfortunately, but it had not hit the, that part of Alaska at all. And so I knew that we were headed for Alaska in May of that year. More with author Deanne Birch, straight ahead. Hello, darling. This is Elvira, Mistress of the Dark, with Tom Sumner. I'm Julie Lopez with Crime Stoppers. Have you ever wondered what to do if you have information about a crime or the whereabouts of a felony fugitive and you want the police to know but you need to remain anonymous? Well, here's what you can do. You can go to p3tips.com or download the mobile app. You can go to Crime Stoppers of Flint and Genesee County's Facebook page and click on the Leave an Anonymous Tip tab, or you can call 1-800-422-JAIL. All methods are anonymous, and if your help leads to a felony arrest, you may be eligible for a cash reward. Remember, your voice matters. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. If you have traveled to a country with a widespread outbreak of COVID-19, CDC recommends you stay home and check your health for 14 days after returning to the United States. Take your temperature with a thermometer two times a day. Watch for symptoms like fever, cough, and trouble breathing. 
and if you feel sick or have symptoms, call ahead before you go to a doctor's office or emergency room. Tell the doctor about your recent travel and your symptoms, and avoid contact with others. For more information, visit cdc.gov. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe Bye from the Blue Lions. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You know, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. Hello. Speaking. Oh, dear. Honey, our car warranty is expiring again. So soon? It just expired last week. You don't even own a car! Not now, Dana. Your father's on the phone. Hey! Mom and Dad, you're being scammed! It's a robocall! Scammers are using new technology and clever tactics to make more and more calls that look legitimate, but are hard to trace. They can make it look like they're calling from any number, even from numbers of people you know. My robocall crackdown team is working with state and federal partners to stop the robocalls for good, but I need your guys' help. Don't trust your caller ID. Verify you're really talking to the person whose number appears when your phone rings. If you accidentally answer a robocall, hang up right away. Engaging in conversation will only lead to more calls. Use a call blocking app on your cell phone that stops robocalls before they interrupt your day. And if you do get a robocall, File a complaint with my office online at mi.gov slash robocalls. And mom, dad, please do not give your information out to these scammers over the phone. They're just trying to trick you. Well, at least they call. No, I get it. You're busy. But you know Janine's daughter is a doctor. She calls every week. A doctor. I'm Michigan Attorney General Dana Nessel. Visit mi.gov slash agcomplaints for your connection to consumer protection. Hello, this is State Senator Jim Ananick, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. More with author Deanne Birch straight ahead. And then what about the the financing of a trip like this? Um, was it was it expensive? How How, how was it? that you were able to do this? Wow. I never even thought about that. Um, I don't... He might have had a research grant from the University of Chicago to finish his Ph.D., but he was he was financially able to do... Uh, able to do what he wanted at that point of his life. And so I guess if he didn't have a grant, which honestly I don't know... I never even asked. I was so naive um, <laughs> that, that we we just went, and I just went along with them. 
Well, but did you, um, there are descriptions in the book of, uh, um, you know, different different ways of living off the land, skinning animals and, and butchering them and, and that sort of thing. It, was that it? You just completely lived off the land, a complete rustic uh, existence? No, not at all. We... Um we did live an, an awful lot off the land, in all honesty, uh, because we ate, I mean, we probably ate Arctic char almost every day. Um, we ate, we sometimes, well, we didn't eat it very often. We did eat seal liver, and we always had the blubber, the um, seal oil from, and dried fish. So if we went on a camping trip or something, we could take the dried fish and the seal oil, and that, that had the protein and the seal oil kept us warm, so we did do that kind of thing. But we did order things from Fairbanks to be sent up. We had we had canned food and a lot of canned food we, and things like spaghetti and, and that kind of stuff. And we ordered food from the cargo ship that came up in September. So we knew we were going to have plenty of food for the winter, which, of course, we never really used because he got burned. Now, there's something about this that, and you just mentioned it, and I and I read about this. The you went on camping trips during your. We time went here? on. We went on two camping trips. We went on one in the in the midsummer, which was up to Cape Thompson. We just took our two of our dogs and um, dried fish and seal oil. And that was supposed to be our food. We ended up stopping at the Arctic Research Lab, and they filled our stomachs with the best food we had had since we left since we left the the city. Uh, the second time, we had they had given a steak actually to take home, which we ended up being able to freeze. I guess there was, I guess it was frozen by then. And um, at any rate, the second camping trip we went on was in the middle of winter. And we took up fish and dried fish and seal oil, and we also had a steak. I'm not sure if it was the steak. I don't think it was. I think it was a steak we'd ordered from Fairbanks. But we had a steak, which we were looking forward to to um, eating, which we never did eat because our tent burned down on the last night of our camping trip, and we were left uh, with our dogs and no tent and probably... Our chances of survival at that point were very slim. I, I'm, I'm really wrestling, Deanne, with the idea that you're living in an Eskimo village and then you go camping. There's something that seems like, like a busman's vacation or something. Uh, well, I don't know how much <clears throat> I did say that I, he wanted, he wanted to take me away from the village because. I felt like the village had really closed in on me, and I needed to get away. And as I as we went up with our dog team, I kind of thought, why isn't he taking me to someplace like Anchorage or Fairbanks for right. a holiday? <laughs> and then, of course, it occurred to me that maybe if I got to Anchorage or Fairbanks, I'd never want to go back to the village. <laughs> <laughs> so there was a method to Tiger's Madness. Uh, yes, exactly, exactly. Um, how, how was the relationship between you and Tiger 
is because you were feeling, you know, really pretty lonely and and um, I, I don't know even know how to describe it, but kind of uh, um, like you were out in the middle of nowhere with no friends or family around, and and it was a pretty tough time for you. How did your relationship with Tiger fare through all of this? I think it was, um, and frankly, I think it was very difficult. I think he was obsessed with his work, and I think he thought that he could take a wife up to Alaska and it would be easy for her. I don't think it ever occurred to him that I could be lonely and miss my friends and miss my family because I had him. But sometimes I didn't have him because he was off hunting with the men and enjoying what all the men enjoyed, and I was left at home <laughs> um, waiting for him to come back. The, the women there were used to that kind of thing. I wasn't. And then when he came back from the hunting trips, I had all this wonderful work that I didn't like doing. I had all the wonderful work to do that I had to do. So it was, um, it was, it was, it was tough on our marriage, but I think in the end, I think it made us stronger than we would have been, perhaps, um, than if we had if, than if we had never gone. Now, throughout your life, you have uh, done a lot in in uh, the world of photography. You've been an international photographer and been published a great deal. Were you? taking pictures at, the, at that time while you were there? Yes. Uh, I wasn't the first time we were there because I was afraid to use a camera. <laughs> but the second time, um, I was just ready to ask him before, before he was burned if he would give me a camera for Christmas. So after we went back up, he bought both of us a camera. It was called a Dial 35, and it, took, it was a half-frame 35-millimeter, half-frame fill frame um, camera. So in other words, if the um, camera would take 36 pictures on a roll of film, but this camera took 72 pictures on a roll of film. And that was where I started to learn my photography. And I have, I have so many pictures that both he and I took that I would like very much to do a coffee table sometime of those photographs. They're, they're almost they're historical photographs in a way, not great photographs, not some of the portraits are great, but just a portrait of what life was like back then when we lived up there. Has it changed up there since you were there? Uh, I thought it had until, until many of the natives got hold of my book, and I found out that they do not have running water still, they do have electricity. They all have cell phones. They all have TVs. Um, so in that respect, it's changed a great deal. However, Kivalina is one of the first villages or first places to be a victim of climate change. And they're just in the process of relocating the village because by 2025, the island is going to be underwater. And I just saw today on a Facebook post the picture of the new school, which is probably 12 miles inland from where the island is. Uh, I think it's very exciting for them. Um, I also think they're a little bit dis got the impression they were a little disappointed with the size of the school, and they hope that it's going to be enlarged. But at any rate, um, 
it has changed. It's changed totally from the time I was up there, simply because they have contact now with the outside world. And, you know, we had no contact with the outside world except by, by radio. And my husband and I, of course, had magazines sent up to us. But by the time the magazines arrived, everything was out of date. So the only way that we really had contact, well, no, we didn't. We had contact through letters from parents and friends and contacts through the magazines. But that was probably everything we got was two weeks after it had happened. Now, you talked about the fire, and that ended up cutting your time in Alaska short. Um, how much of a setback was that for Tiger? I think it was a setback for his whole life. I think his, <laughs> I was talking about that today, actually, with my sister-in-law. And I think it, well, it, was, it, was a t- it influenced everything in our life and, and in his life as well because he really couldn't do the things that he wanted to do. Um, he, I think he would have liked to have spent a second year up in, in Alaska in another winter. I don't think he would. I think he was believing that, it was, that he could do that. But in, in, in all honesty, his lungs were so badly damaged that another winter up there would have, I, I don't think I could have stood another winter, but I think he couldn't have survived another winter because we didn't have medical treatment that was close enough to us to, to help his damaged lungs. So I'm not sure that I, and, and he lived with his damaged lungs all of his life. How, what did the fire damage, uh, not, not on him, but was it your home that caught fire? Well, what happened was he ignited the Coleman lantern in the house. And he knew, and everybody knows, that you never do that. But it was so cold outside. It was 35 below. And, of course, he decided to take a chance. And the vapors from, the vapors from I guess, the previous thing ignited in his face. And at that point, he didn't know he was burned. And he, we both got out of the house, and he went back in thinking he could save his notes. Um, and I don't think he was, I think he was in a state of shock and didn't know what he was doing. He ran through what he describes as a wall of fire, and he put his hands over his face, so his hands were very badly burned. I think his face had been badly burned initially, although he doesn't, he never believed that, but I definitely know that that's what happened, because his hands were badly burned and his ears sloughed off. So if he hadn't put his hands over his face, his face would have been totally burned. Um, anyway, he ended up in our little bedroom, which was probably maybe six feet by six feet. No, I'm, I'm probably exaggerating. It was, wasn't that small. But he ended up, and I think he, I think he thought he was going to die. And by the time the um, help arrived, they had to get gas masks from the armory in order to go in because the smoke was so thick. And so he'd probably been lying there for 10 or 15 minutes, which meant that he had all this smoke inhalation in his lungs. And then, of course, when they took him over to the schoolhouse, he couldn't get his breath, and he spent 16 hours without medical help. I thought every breath he was, was going to take would be his last, but that isn't, that isn't obviously isn't what happened. 
Now, were these these burns that he suffered on his face and hands were they disfiguring? Or, or, or yes, um, yes. Now, when you returned, quote unquote, uh, to civilization, or at least to an area where he had access to good medical help, um, was he able to be restored? His uh, the uh, when we returned in. To Harrisburg that December, he started to have skin grafts, and but he never looked the way he looked as as a young man. He was very handsome as a young man, and a lot of my friends, of course, didn't know him be- that I have now, didn't know him before he was burned, and um, they said after a while they got used to it, and he just looked like anybody else. But his scars endured for the rest of his life. He always was badly scarred. He had a skin skin grafts on his forehead and he had to have his ears he had to have his ears remade because his ears sloughed off. And so he had several operations which involved them making tubes and moving the tubes up from his stomach up up to his chest and then finally up to his ears. Was- and he he should have had his nose repaired because it part he lost part of his nose but he never he never ever did do that. Was he able to, um, in any way, complete his research work? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. He, he completed his research work, and over the years that he lived, he wrote many, many books on, the Ar- on life in the Arctic. And I think he gave, I think he really gave the history of the, in- of the Inuits to, to their people. I think they've learned a lot through the books that he wrote. And is that what he did then for for work and, and to make a living? He taught at the University of Manitoba for okay. uh, probably for seven years. We did spend one year up in Kotzebue, Alaska with two of our children, um, but, he's, but we spent seven years there, and then... He retired from there, and that's a long story, which I won't go into. And he ended up getting research grants and living on research grants while he wrote the books that he did for that he did on on Alaska. And um, then I, I, I'm not even sure how to ask this, Deanne. But how old was he when he died? Seventy-two. So he. Li- he lived a good long time. Yes, he did. Af- yes. After your your Yes. After your journey through fire and yes. ice. Yes. Um now that you've well, I, I I guess I'm curious, you did some teaching as well, didn't you? Well, I taught a lot of photography. I didn't teach anything else, but I had started out as a social, or I thought I was going to be a social worker when I married him. But after he was burned, I felt that I had enough to deal with without dealing with other people's problems. So I took up photography, and I did. I I taught in Canada and in, 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 in the United States, and I lectured across Canada and the United States, and even lectured in Sweden one time, which was an amazing experience. I would think. Um this is a fascinating story, Deanne, and I'm so glad that you're sharing it with me and the listeners and, and really with the readers of this book. But 
when you were writing this book and putting this together, um, did you have a, a particular audience in mind? Who who do you imagine um, would should read this book, and what are you hoping they get out of it? I guess I'm hoping that that they'll get out of the fact that if I could triumph over tragedy, that they can too. And I think the audience of my book, I thought it was going to be directed mainly to women, but a lot of, a lot of men have read it and, and have enjoyed it just as much as the women have. So I'm not really sure at this point who my audience is. Um, I think it's pretty general. Uh, and, and a lot of the reviews on, of my book, which is, you know, I've had several good reviews of my book, and some of them, many of them have said that the book should be made into a movie. So I found that very flattering. And, of course, being a very visual person, I could see the book me- being made into a movie. But, of course, that's a pipe dream of mine, and I don't think that's ever going to happen in my lifetime. Well, in in some ways, this is this is really a fascinating story. It's it's kind of almost like a Jack London tale. Uh, I suppose it probably is. And I could see it being made into a movie as as well. Now that the book is is complete and done, and do you think of it as a memoir? Ah, oh, it's definitely a memoir because there is nothing in it that is, is not true. Um, so it's definitely a memoir. It's not, it's not a work of fiction. Uh, most people start out writing fiction, writing kind of a, a story about their life that is fiction, and then they end up writing a memoir. And I, wish I, I kind of wish I had done that, but I ended up with a memoir basically because I... I had always planned to write it, and my husband didn't particularly want me to write it. He had no idea what it was going to be about, <laughs> and frankly, when I started it, I didn't know what it was going to be about either, but I had all the old letters that I'd written to my parents and to my in-laws, and I had letters that I'd written to friends, and I think when something happens, a tragedy that happened that happened to us in Alaska, I feel that... Um, you always live on the edge of it. You never forget what really happened. So I had a lot of memories that were extremely vivid when I started to write the memoir. You know, I was going to ask if, if when you were, you know, collecting material letters and, and I don't know, notes and, and maybe some of your husband's research, if you, when putting this book together, if there were any revelations for you, were there any anything... Did anything surprise you as you were recounting all of this? I think what surprised me the most was the fact that I realized in the end that I'd had an experience that was an incredible experience and that really no other woman that I know had an experience like that. So in the end of writing the memoir, it became it became something... It just reminded me of an experience that that I had that I'll never forget, and I'll never forget the people that were up there. And uh, I, I mean, I can still feel the, I can feel everything that happened in the village. I can still 
picture the village as it was then, and of course it's not like that now, and I can picture all the people that were up there and the little kids that came to visit me. Um, I'm just, I'm just glad that I had that experience. I, I just, I, I can't help wondering, Deanne, if you got, you know, to the end of the book and got it done and, and, and had a moment where you thought to yourself, wow, I lived through all that and I'm here to, to talk about it. I certainly, yes, I certainly <laughs> did feel that way. And, and a lot of my, a lot of my friends that have read the book have said, wow, I would have gone home on the first airplane. I wouldn't have stayed up there. <laughs> I bet. I, I, I bet that's true. Um, so now that the book is done, what's next for you, Deanne? Well, I've written a short story. Um, uh, actually, it takes place in Kotzebue, Alaska. It's a children's story. And I have a, a publisher that's very interested in the book. And my goddaughter is doing the illustrations for the book. Oh, so wonderful. That's quite... It's. That's kind of exciting, exciting for me as well. Yeah, I would think. Um, Deanne, we're almost out of time, but I always give guests an opportunity to let listeners know where they can find out more about you. Do you have, uh, do you have a website? I have an author's website. It's Deanne Birch, oh dot com, and I have an author's website on um, Facebook. So they can find out, I guess, more about me there. I also have written a blog, and it's called The Alaska That Nobody Knows. And that's a lot of, a lot of it is relating Kivalina uh, in those days to Kivalina in, in the present. And I've talked about the pandemic up there and, and uh, the pandemic, trying to relate it to things that people will understand. So I think the blog has been, has been, it's been a really good experience for me, and people have loved it. But unfortunately, I'm running out of things to say now, so I don't know how much longer the blog is going to keep on. Well, I wouldn't recommend going back for another trip. Um, but, Deanne, thank you so much for uh, sharing your story with me and the listeners um, today and, uh, and in the book. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for interviewing me. I really enjoyed it. Take care. Again, that is uh, Deanne Birch. The book is called Journey Through Fire and Ice, Shattered Dreams Above the Arctic Circle. And we'll have more of the Tom Sumner program. Hey, <laughs> this is the Unknown Comic. And guess what? You're listening to the Tom Sumner Show right now. And now, and now too, and even now. Our lives have been turned upside down by COVID-19. When a vaccine becomes available, it's critical that all of us get it. What we do as individuals will impact everyone's health, including those who can't get the vaccine. We won't get through this unless everyone takes part. Now is the time to get up to date on all recommended vaccines for both kids and adults. Experts say it's more important than ever for everyone to get their flu vaccine this year. And if you're older, you should get both the flu and pneumonia vaccines, since both illnesses can make COVID-19 even worse. Vaccines are available at a lot of convenient places, so be an example for friends and loved ones and encourage them to get vaccinated too. 
We all want to reunite, travel, and get back to school and work. But that means we all need to get on board. This is the time to do what's right for each other. Get vaccinated. It's our best shot. Hey, this is Tom from the Tom Sumner Program. Catch me and a gaggle of great guests weekdays on Our Voices Radio, WFOVLP 92.1 FM. You never know who might drop by. Joe By from the Blue Hawaiians. Dan Serling. Congressman Dan Kildee. Alexander Zondrick. Actor, comedian Joe Napote. Woodrow Stanley. U.S. Senator Debbie Stabenow. State Senator Jim Ananick. Comedian Brian McCree. The unknown comic. Mark Farner. And Tom, I want you to know Tom's my friend. You, you've always got great questions, and you know the material, and you, and you care about it, and it's, uh, it's that's impressive. Nice to be with you, Tom. And I admire you for reading all of that. I haven't read the whole thing. I've got willing to admit that. <laughs> hey, Tom, this is my favorite interview all It's like having coffee at the kitchen table with you. Tune in Monday through Friday from 9 to 12 right here on 92.1 of a Kind. And check out our website at TomSumnerProgram.com. East Village Magazine is the monthly neighborhood magazine read all over Flint. With support from grants, donations, and advertisers, East Village Magazine's talented local writers give you an in-depth look at local news, issues, and people that make Flint, Flint. Copies of East Village Magazine are available at many of your favorite shops and restaurants around Flint or online at eastvillagemagazine.org. East Village Magazine, community-focused and community-supported. The Tom Sumner Program is made possible with support from Seth David Radwell, a recent guest on the program and author of American Schism, How the Two Enlightenments Hold a Secret to Healing Our Nation, released in July 2021. As Publishers Weekly writes in its recent glowing review of American Schism, business executive Radwell's epic debut examines the historical influences that have led to what he sees as the collapse of politics in the United States. Seth Radwell makes the case that the current chasm between the American right and left can be traced back to the 18th century's Age of Enlightenment and the basic tenets of liberty, equality, and reason. American Schism provides a historical perspective that can help bridge current day divides. American Schism by Seth David Radwell is available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and wherever books are sold. For more information, go to americanschismbook.com. MTA Flint is nationally recognized for continually seeking to provide sustainable, reliable, and cost-efficient transportation for individuals throughout the region. Through work-related and non-emergency medical transportation and your ride services, MTA is moving people with future and alternative fuel technologies. More information about MTA Flint and specialized services is available at mtaflint.org. get the uneasy feeling Rod Serling is behind one of those doors. Rod Serling. Rod Serling. What's this, the Twilight Zone? Where is everybody? I would have been headed for the Twilight Zone. Twilight Zone. If I go any lower, I'll be in the Twilight Zone. All right. All oh, the Jethro's right at home in the Twilight Zone. <laughs> I'm in the Twilight Zone. Now, having made this little jaunt into the Twilight Zone, I got a feeling something strange is about to happen in the Twilight Zone. Hi, this is Ann Serling, and you're listening to the Tom Sumner Program. Welcome to this presentation of the Comedy Spotlight on the Tom Sumner Program.
mother. Hello, father. Here I am at Camp Granada. Camp is very entertaining. And they say we'll have some fun if it stops raining. I went hiking with Joe Spivey. He developed poison ivy. You remember Leonard Skinner. He got ptomaine poisoning last night after dinner. All the counselors hate the waiters. And the lake has alligators. And the head coach wants no sissies. So he reads to us from something called Ulysses. Now I don't want this should scare you. But my bunkmate has malaria. You remember Jeffrey Hardy. They're about to organize a searching party. Take me home, oh motherfucker, take me home. I hate Granada, don't leave me out in the forest where I might get eaten by a bear. Take me home, I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. Oh, please don't make me stay. I've been here one whole day. <laughs> Dearest father, darling mother, how's my precious little brother? Let me come home if you miss me. I would even let Aunt Bertha hug and kiss me. Wait a minute. It stopped hailing. Guys are swimming. Guys are sailing. Playing baseball. Gee, that's better. Modafada, kindly disregard this ladder. I go to the camp. Oh, really? I didn't know that. What camp is it? Well, it's just a little camp upstate. Yeah, well, where is it? Maybe I've been there. No, I don't think you've ever been to this camp. It's just a little place hidden away, a lot of bushes around it. Yeah, well, well what's the name of the camp? Well, it's Camp uh, uh, Sunny Sunshine. Sunny Sunshine? One of these places where the uh, sun worshippers? That's so loud. Just say it's a topless camp. That's all. That's not bad. From the toes up. Oh. I like it. What, what do you want to go to a place like that for? Hey, baby. No. I mean, what for? Oh, you meet pretty ladies there. I found a girl there. She was great. She was very bashful, though. No, now, what's a bashful girl doing in a place like Camp Sunny Sunshine? Well, a lot of this. <laughs> Why didn't you tell me you wanted to get away? You could go to my place out in the desert. Beautiful out there. Miles away from anybody. I didn't know Oh, there's nothing like it. You get up with the dawn. You get out there 5 o'clock in the morning all by yourself. Walk out into the desert. You stand there and you just stare at a yucca tree. You know, I've sat out there. I've looked at 700 yucca trees. No two of them shaped alike. At Camp Sunny Sunshine. Same thing with the girls. No jokes. Now, Frank, you know, the picture of you at the camp like that is really kind of funny. What? Well, look at the way you're getting flabby. 
Yeah, you are. It's, and it's all the way you eat. You're kidding. I'm getting fat. That's right. You know, all you need is positive thinking. Whenever you get hungry, just say, I am not hungry. Say it out loud. I am not hungry. I tried that. How'd it work? I can't talk with my mouth full. Oh, come on, you, And another thing, alcohol is no good for you. I'll drink to that. No, you... They, they have a lot of help for people that have that kind of problem. There's a new pill. Yeah. Yes, sir. You take this pill, you're not hungry for eight hours. Sleeping pill? No, it's not a sleeping pill. It's a diet pill. Oh, if I'm awake, I'm hungry. You, you know what you're really... To help you, a lot of people just die. What you really need is exercise. You haven't exercised since you left high school. The exercise is great for you. Put you in trim. I get all the exercise I need painting. Painting? Yeah. You know, you, what do you paint? Pictures. I got a little girl comes in twice no, a week. No, no, I, I mean, I mean real exercise. You know every morning of my life, the first thing in the morning, before I have my breakfast, before I shower, before I read my mail, I run five miles. Oh, you ought to move that mailbox closer to the house. I mean, it's, it's every morning, five miles out there. It's great. It's uh, wonderful. I tried running five miles once. Isn't it wonderful? Yeah, it's great. I slept all the way back in the cab. Uh, if, if, I'm telling you about exercise. It's great for the heart. You'll live longer. Huh. I don't know about that. I got a friend you wouldn't believe. Exercise. That's all he thought of. Yeah. Push-ups. Exercise. Running. Ha. You wouldn't believe. He had muscles. You oh, Why, at 33 years old, he went just like that. Oh, I don't believe it. Truck hit him. Oh, God. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. You get a little exercise every day at nighttime. Boy, you will sleep like that. I feel terrible. What's bad? I'm not getting enough rest. Why don't you go to bed and go to sleep? I do, but it's, I dream. It's all those dreams. Oh, really? Well, dreams are good for you. They're very good. They're necessary. You're kidding. Boy, certainly. Hey, did you ever go in the kitchen and see a tea kettle sitting on the stove? Did you ever just stand there and look at that tea kettle? I've never been that drunk. No, no, I mean... You, you, you know... You stare at tea kettles? No, you don't stare at They're tea They're going to haul you away. Now, wait a minute. You, I mean, you, you take a tea kettle, right? You fill it full of water. You put a fire under it. What does a tea kettle do? That's right. You know what it's doing? It's letting off steam, and that's what dreams do for you. They let you let off steam. You should be glad to be dreaming. Yeah, but I got this one dream that worries me. Oh, you got a dream that worries you. That's pretty bad. What, what is it? Same thing every night. Oh, yeah. Same thing. I go to sleep, right? Yeah. Now I'm asleep, and I'm dreaming, and there's a knock on the door. Yeah. I wake up. I open the door. Yeah, well, who's there? A lady in a bikini. Well, do you know her? I do after five or ten minutes. <laughs> now, come on, seriously. That's what you dream. You have the same dream every night? Some nights I wake up screaming. What are you screaming? Come in! <laughs> well, in the, in the morning after a dream like that, are you tired? Depends how long she stays. Oh, come on. Actually, you know, if, that, if you're serious about that dream, it's a perfectly normal dream. Why should it worry you? Well, I moved to a new apartment this morning. I'm not too sure she knows the new address. Post office can take care of it. Is that the only dream you have? No, sometimes I dream of steam shovels. Steam shovels? Thousands and thousands of steam shovels. Well, what are they doing? <laughs> and that's all? There's just a lot of steam shovels out in the field whistling? Well, they're moving. Oh, well, then somebody's driving them. The lady in the bikini. <laughs> Let me ask you do, you, do you ever do you ever eat late at night? I mean, just before you go to bed, you eat? Well, sure, I have a little snack. Well, that, that's, that may be the clue to the whole thing. For example, what did you eat last night before you went to bed? Well, let's see. I ordered a couple of pizzas. Pizzas? Yeah. You eat a couple of highly seasoned pizzas before you go to bed? I love pizzas. Well, that's terrible. Well, I wash them down with a little Chianti, and then I go oh, to sleep. Oh, that's what do you dream about? An Italian lady. <laughs> I know, wearing a bikini. No, mostly anchovies, melted cheese, little tomatoes. You know, I, you ought to see a doctor about this. I did. What did he say? Come in! Yeah. <laughs> 
This was another comedy spotlight on the Tom Sumner program. From the Tom Sumner Show. Oh, yeah. Tom Sumner Program.com. Tom Sumner Program.com Hey, that wraps it up for today's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Thanks to all of the guests. Makes for some good reading once we uh, get into the fall and winter months. We had... um, This last hour, Deanne Birch talking about her book, Journey Through Fire and Ice, Shattered Dreams Above the Arctic Circle. We talked about a new, uh, well, a book that's been out for a while, but it's out in paperback now, uh, Pet Nation by Mark L. Cushing. And we started out uh, with um, Lori Lee, the uh, author of Pahua and the Soul Stealer under the Rick Riordan uh, Presents uh, imprint. And uh, we have some more authors coming up tomorrow. So some good ideas for fall and winter reading on the Tom Sumner program. And uh, I hope you'll you'll tune in because these are all pretty interesting people and books. Um, That's Smokin' George Winters tickling the ivories, but uh, let me know it's time for me to head on down the hall to the living room. But I will be back tomorrow. We'll kick off the show with a Flint-based author, Connor Coyne, on tomorrow's edition of the Tom Sumner Program. Anyway, in the meantime, uh, happy reading. Good night, everybody. The Tom Sumner Program is a live variety show. We want to acknowledge all of our guests who play such an important role in the show and our cavalcade of cohorts from coast to coast for their regular contributions. Most of the musical accompaniment was provided by people in or from the Flint area. Many of the pre-recorded portions of the Tom Sumner program are made possible by Flint's own Steve McComb and Pencil Sketch Recording in Nashville, Tennessee. If you have comments, questions or suggestions about the show, find us on Facebook. This is Prue Clearwater. Join us next time for another edition of the Tom Sumner Program. And thanks for listening.